Hi, I'm Michael Woods, Chief Scientist at the Asian Turfgrass Center, and this is the HC Double Cut, where I take a second look at some of the content on the ADC blog. I've been posting a lot over there because there are so many interesting things to write about and so many interesting things to study. On the website, I'm going to point out one new feature also. Uh, I just added this yesterday. On the ATC website, you'll see now at the top of the home page, I put a link in to show the direct links to get the podcast version of ATC Office Hours, to get the podcast uh, to subscribe to the podcast of this show, the ATC Double Cut, and also to get a direct link to ATC's YouTube channel. I know I have for the longest time, I've just had the top of the home page show the new blog posts, but that's now the second thing that you'll see. It's just down below that. So on the website, at the very top, you'll see a little slider that shows how you can quickly get to see the podcast or the video content and how you can subscribe that. Now, the post that I want to start with today is about, you can see I've got a little bit of a backlog here. Uh, as I scroll down, this was about four posts ago, but it's one that I think is fascinating. I refer to this type of thing all the time. The, the post is called fertilizer supply versus nutrient use. And the thing that I refer to is that it is customary in the turf grass industry, and I think this goes uh, for most parts of the world, it is customary for nutrients other than nitrogen to be supplied in amounts that are considerably higher than the grass can use. And I think the reason for that is because people haven't really calculated a mass balance of how much the grass could possibly use. And because of that, it, it seems normal to apply rates of potassium and phosphorus and sometimes calcium and magnesium that are, and certainly micronutrients, it, it seems normal to apply these nutrients at rates that are much higher than the grass can use because people don't typically calculate how much the grass can use. But when you start looking at it in terms of how much can the grass possibly use, there's a disconnect between what we probably should be doing and what is normal. So in this post, I looked at some data. This actually started with a question that, that I was asked on the ATC Discord server. You can also find a link to that at the very top of the homepage in the, um, if you see that on, on the website. If this doesn't show up on mobile. If, if you're looking at this on your cell phone, you won't see these little icons. But if you go on your, um, on, on a computer screen or on a tablet and the screen's big enough, you'll see icons up in the top right corner. And one of those is for joining the ATC Turf Discord server. And there was a question about calcium use and how much calcium was typically applied. And I said, let me look up in Japan because I know in Japan, there's a lot of turf grass managers that apply calcium on putting greens. A lot of greenkeepers do that 
especially during the summer. And I wanted to look up some numbers. So when I was at home, I looked up in my The Greenkeeper 2016 book, which is one of my favorite publications. It's by Iki Publishing Company in Tokyo. And they publish data about greenkeeping in Japan and golf courses and golf course maintenance in Japan. And the yearbook, it typically includes from 12 to 30 annual maintenance plans, annual maintenance records from actual golf courses in Japan. And so I summarized that in this blog post for 16 golf courses from Japan, 16 golf courses that provided monthly and because they provided monthly, we also can get annual totals for nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium and calcium and magnesium. That they, they provided the monthly totals and the annual totals for how much of each of those elements were applied. And because of that, we know that nitrogen supply controls the maximum possible growth. The grass can't grow you know, if you apply zero nitrogen, the grass is not going to grow very much eventually. So the nitrogen supply acts as an upper bound on how much the grass can grow. Because of that, once we know the amount of nitrogen that was supplied, we can also calculate the maximum possible use of all those other elements. So we're not talking about use as fertilizer i'm talking about use now maximum possible use that the grass could have used and that's based on the nitrogen rate and in these tables it goes to terrific precision for example the golf course i i showed a picture of this in the blog post and the uh the numbers are given for this particular golf course in to two decimal places. So for example, nitrogen in July was supplied at 0.58 grams of nitrogen per square meter. And it's typical in Japan to report fertilizer units in grams per square meter, which conveniently at the end of the year, if you sum those up, you'll get typically numbers that are in the range from zero to 100 which is convenient so for the golf course that i showed the picture of here in this image over the course of the year they applied 11.62 grams of nitrogen over the course of the year which actually is very close to the median for all of the 16 courses that i compiled data for i'm going to give some background information about these courses or um for these 16 courses that I that reported all of those elements and that I took those data from the from the Greenkeeper uh, Almanac in 2016, uh, I'm I'm just going to talk about median values that represents the average of these and the median end supply for those 16 courses in Japan was 11.16 grams of nitrogen per square meter. And that is about 2.1 pounds of nitrogen per thousand square feet per year. And for additional background information, all of these courses that I show data from are creeping bent grass greens. A lot of them would have been pen cross creeping bent grass. And in Japan, it's customary to do some interseeding with new varieties that are more heat and um, 
humidity and low mowing tolerant than is creeping than than is pencross, but all of them are creeping bent grass. Of those, of those sixteen golf courses, eleven have one green per hole. They use the one green system. Five of those courses have the two green system, which is two greens per hole. And all of those had two bent grass greens, which I put a link to this in the blog post also. It's a lot of people think that the two green system means there's a summer green and a winter green with one having a warm season grass, one having a cool season grass. And that's not the case. It's more common now uh, in right now. I mean, by now, I mean 2022. It's more common if courses have the two green system, they would have two bent grass greens per hole. And a long, long time ago, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, it would have been a warm and a cool season. But I think during the 1990s, most of the courses that had a zoysia green, they changed that to L93 creeping bent grass. Uh, I think there was a huge, huge amount of L93 creeping bent grass used in Japan in the 1990s as people realized that with modern technology, they can use creeping bent grass on the green. So they interceded creeping bent grass, L93, over the cori, the zoysia matrella, and converted those greens to bent grass. And the reason for doing that is because of the improved putting quality, the improved ball roll that you get on bent grass compared with zoysia. And that's something that I've also written about. I've shown a video about it, about how the zoysia greens have a very distinctive ball roll because of the very stiff nature of the leaf blades. So we're getting through this background information and then uh, I'm going to show what this post is all about. But it's, it's interesting to know what these 16 golf courses are like. So they, they're applying 11.2 grams of nitrogen per square meter, 2.1 pounds per year. And some have the two green system, 11 have the one green system. Eight of those facilities, half of them, had 18 holes. Four of them have 27 holes. Four have 36 holes. So it, that's also common in Japan to have multi-course facilities because in Japan, it's customary to tee off on the first hole of every nine hole. Um, so consider the, the an 18 hole course has two nine hole courses. A 27 hole facility has three nine hole courses and a 36-hole facility would have four nine-hole courses. Uh, so you can tee off on what people would think of as one and ten, uh, or one, ten, and not hole 19, for example, on a 27-hole facility. You can you get more tee times when you do that. So it's common in Japan, where golf has been quite popular, that you can uh, get more golfers out at their preferred tee times by having more opportunities for them to start. And I think that's much of the reason why there are so many multi-course facilities in Japan. And then there, I also got a question about how many rounds were played on these courses. So I, I updated this post soon after I'd, I'd posted the initial version. And I looked up the median annual number of rounds, 
which I adjusted this to a per 18 hole basis. It's wonderful to have so much of this information provided that I, I can find out the grass varieties on the greens. I can find uh, how many holes and the median annual number of rounds and so on. So the median annual number of rounds was 35,667. So these are creeping bent grass, creeping bent grass greens in Japan adjusted to a per 18 hole basis. Uh, they're doing 35,667 rounds on average. They're, uh, they're doing that number of rounds on greens that are getting about 11 grams, 11.2 grams of nitrogen or 2.1 pounds of nitrogen. And they're doing that on a median green size, which I've adjusted also for the two green system and adjusted for the number of holes. The median green size was 600 square meters. And in, I apologize, I I don't know off the top of my head what that is in, in thousand square feet. I think it's uh, a little bit more than 6,000. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's less than 7,000. It's, it's probably, probably about 6,500 square feet, something like that. So the median green size was 600 square meters. Now to the whole point of this is the nutrient supply. Remember, these 16 courses all reported exactly how much nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, and magnesium they applied month by month through the year. And if we add that together as an annual total, and I've scaled this all to be on the same scale. So all of, uh, all of this is scaled so that nitrogen is set at 10. Uh, and then everything else is in relation to nitrogen, which is set at 10. So these, this is the median value from the self-reported totals by these 16 golf courses. And the relative amount is scaled where nitrogen is set at 10. And the chart that I put in the blog post shows a red line that goes... The, the red line shows the amount added as fertilizer. So if, if nitrogen was 10 grams, then the median value for potassium was just about, just a little bit over nine grams. And the median amount of calcium was a little bit over four grams. And the median amount of phosphorus applied was a little bit more than two grams and the median amount of magnesium applied was a little bit more than four grams. That is, that is the amount that was added as fertilizer. And I also calculated based on monthly tissue testing that I've done of creeping bent grass greens in Japan and the United States, I also calculated a median expected use by the grass, also scaled based on a nitrogen uh, amount in the leaves of 10 grams. And then I calculated the difference, the difference between the amount applied as fertilizer and the amount that the grass was expected to use. So the nitrogen, it's, it's exactly the same because the grass actually can't use all of the nitrogen that's applied, but in a, in a perfect world, the nitrogen use efficiency would be one 
and the grass would use all of the nitrogen that's applied. So that uh, that is set to to be exactly the same. And then when we look at potassium, the difference between the amount of potassium applied and the maximum possible amount that the grass could have used was 2.4 times. 240% more potassium was used. Uh, sorry, 240% more potassium was supplied than the grass could use. For calcium, it's an even bigger difference. There was 3.7 times more calcium supplied as fertilizer than the grass could possibly use. There was 1.9, about two times more phosphorus applied than the grass could use. And magnesium, I don't know why so much magnesium was applied. The difference between magnesium supply and use was 8.9 times. So 890% more magnesium supplied than the grass can use. That is something that I'm... It, I'm fairly aware of this. In fact, I was a little bit surprised that the calcium number was that low. I, I thought the calcium number might be something in the 5 to 10 range where uh, it might be that 500% or 700% more calcium was supplied than the grass could use, but that wasn't the case. It was only 3.7 times more. But if I look at this, if I look at these data and look at how much the grass can use compared to how much is supplied, it seems like there is some opportunity on average if we, if we take a whole bunch of golf courses and look on average how much fertilizer is supplied it looks like there are opportunities to reduce some of the nutrients and still be supplying a hundred percent of the grass use so that's something that i refer to sometimes that there's not a huge amount of data um, like there is in Japan, there's not a huge amount of data for other places to say, okay, here's a bunch of nutrient use amounts. And from that, we can, we can calculate how the amount added as fertilizer relates to use. Um, those data are a bit hard to come by, which is why I really like, uh, the turf grass management industry in Japan and the way they keep such excellent records and the way that those data are made available for other people to see. So I can study things like this. Now, I put a couple of points at the end of this blog post, and I said that I'd like to point out two things in reference to that chart that I showed. And the first one is that this completely ignores the soil. This assumes that the grass gets nothing from the soil, which is not true. It also assumes the grass gets nothing from the irrigation water, which is also not true because we can expect that in a lot of cases, a substantial portion of potassium and calcium and magnesium that the grass could use, a, a substantial portion of that may come from the irrigation water. So this is 2.4 times more potassium applied as fertilizer than the grass can use, 3.7 times more calcium applied than the grass can use, that doesn't even consider that the soil can certainly supply some amount of those elements to the grass. That was the first point that I wanted to make. So this is um, maybe even a little bit worse than it would seem because, because this ignores the soil. And, and the soil, of course, could, could supply some. And the other th thing that I 
pointed out is that the MLSN method of soil test interpretation accounts for this naturally uh, because uh, that's what it was designed to do. So it accounts for plant use and the soil's ability to supply each element. And uh, I, I made a note there. I said, it doesn't make sense to supply twice as much of an element as the grass can use. If the median course were using MLSN, the amount of fertilizer would be a lot closer to the line of plant use and for most elements would actually be below the line of plant use because the soil would have ample amounts of those elements. So that's what happens when you when you do soil testing and see what the soil can supply. So that takes me through what I think is an absolutely fascinating blog post about data, about what is actually done. Now, of course, people are getting great results supplying that amount of fertilizer, I'm just saying that it's not necessary. It it has no benefit to supply three times, two times, three times, four times, eight times more of an element than the grass can use. Because the other thing that I think most people realize when they think about it is you the soil doesn't have an infinite capacity to store elements either. The cation exchange capacity is a fixed number basically and unless you add some negative charge to the soil you are not going to change the cation exchange capacity the fertilizer doesn't have negative charge so adding adding cations which calcium and potassium and magnesium are adding cations to the soil doesn't change the soil's ability to hold them uh, unless you added something that would increase the soil's cation exchange capacity. So it makes sense. I think it makes sense to supply, to make sure that the grass is going to have all of the nutrients that it can use. I, I don't really like deficiencies. Those can be catastrophic, but uh, it, it's nice to be precise about it. And to be precise about it, what can be done is calculate how much the grass can possibly use. That is a straightforward exercise that's based on what grass you're growing and how fast the grass is growing. And how fast the grass is growing is based on how much nitrogen is supplied. So that is a, a straightforward thing to do. You can calculate how much the, the of each element the grass can use. And then maybe at the end of the year, look at how much of those elements were supplied. And if it's close if it's in the ballpark or if it's far far away from how much the grass used because if you consistently under apply also let's say you only apply nitrogen year after year after year if the soil is a relatively fertile soil then there will be plenty of nutrient supply for a while but eventually the nutrient supply uh, of other elements other than nitrogen will be depleted and that might be after one year or it might be after 100 years i don't know but you would typically do a soil test to find out how low the nutrient levels are getting in the soil and by um, by measuring that you can tell when you need to uh, apply them 
but it it wouldn't be wise what i what i mean to say is it would not be wise to apply only nitrogen without um without any of the other elements because in that case you would be habitually or consistently supplying less potassium less phosphorus less calcium less magnesium than the grass could possibly use and that it's safe in most cases to do that for a while but that's where soil testing comes in soil testing then lets you look at how those nutrients are changing and you can predict when they need to be applied and in what quantities so just as it it doesn't make any sense to uh assume that the soil can supply everything and and never supply those nutrients it doesn't make any sense to apply double triple quadruple uh, amounts of those elements than the grass can use because i guarantee you those nutrients are not uh, retained in the soil either they're just leached through so it it not only does it have no benefit to the grass it also doesn't act as a reserve it doesn't act as much of a future reserve for future uh, nutrient use either so uh i i wish everybody would make that calculation be a little bit more precise and i suppose that's useful with current fertilizer prices it's probably useful to pay attention to that kind of thing so uh i i hope you'll find that useful if you have any questions about that there is of course ample information about soil testing these type of calculations this way of thinking about nutrient management and turf grass management that's all present on my website at asianturfgrass.com and i will stop now for this particular topic i've got a few more coming up um, when i have time to record them for now, for ATC in Huahin today, this is Micah Woods. <laughs>